Today, we're talking about Bronny James's sudden cardiac arrest and all the conspiracy theories that have popped up, Doja Cat waging war against her own fan base, the incoming Biden impeachment, Carly Russell admitting she lied about the kidnapping, this horrifying police dog story. We're gonna talk about all that and so much more in today's brand new Philip DeFranco show. You daily dive into the news, so buckle up, hit that like button, and let's just jump into it. Starting with Bronny James, the oldest son of LeBron James, reportedly suffered a cardiac arrest on Monday during basketball practice at the University of Southern California. Bronny is 18 years old. He was reportedly treated at the scene before being taken to the hospital and multiple outlets saying that he's in stable condition and no longer in the ICU. He also had a spokesperson for the family releasing a statement saying LeBron and Savannah wish to publicly send their deepest thanks and appreciation to the USC medical and athletic staff for their incredible work and dedication to the safety of their athletes. Outlets like ESPN noting that this is actually the second year in a row that a USC basketball player has suffered cardiac arrest. Right, and with this terrifying situation, you have tons of people sending their prayers and love over to Bronny and the James family right now. But also, if you look online, there are a lot of people that are trying to make this a story about vaccines. With among others on Twitter, even Elon Musk himself promoting claims that Bronny's cardiac arrest was tied to myocarditis. Writing, we cannot ascribe everything to the vaccine, but by the same token, we cannot ascribe nothing. Myocarditis is a known side effect. The only question is whether it is rare or common. Though notably, he's not the only one talking like this, but at the same time, you have tons of people shutting that down, noting at the very least that nowhere in the family statement did anyone even say Bronny had myocarditis, or among the bigger things, people noting that you're more likely to suffer myocarditis after an actual COVID infection than from getting the vaccine. You also have people pointing to a study from 2019 before COVID would even be a factor in anything that found that sudden cardiac arrest is actually the most frequent medical cause of sudden death in athletes. And then, I'd like you to meet 23-year-old Jadarius Rose. He's a commercial truck driver who said he was just trying to make a delivery at around 9.30 in the morning on a highway outside Columbus, Ohio. And at some point, state troopers try to pull him over over a missing mud flap, right? A simple traffic violation. But for the next 20 minutes, he allegedly refuses to pull over, then finally rolling to a stop, and then soon taking off again, with a 911 call that he makes shedding some light on his thinking at the time. And they feel like they're trying to kill me. I don't know why they're trying to kill me. They're not trying to kill you. Yes, they are. I was about to comply with them, but they all had their guns out for whatever So eight minutes after taking off again, police puncture his tire with spike strips, forcing him to stop. And this time, Rose gets out with officers approaching him, including one handling a dog. And one officer threatening to unleash the dog if Rose doesn't get on the ground. And so he does exactly that, dropping to his knees, he raises his hands in the air, with one cop clearly warning the handler not to deploy the dog. Do not release the dog with his hands up. Do not release the dog. But then seemingly for no fucking reason, the canine officer releases the dog and it bolts forward, sinking its teeth into Rose's arm. And you then hear both the officers shouting to get the dog off him and the man begging them to do the same in a blood-curdling scream. And this is a female officer seen walking away with her head in her hands as the others wrestle the dog away. And after the dust settles, you hear Rose arguing with an officer about what happened. I was coming, all the guns pointing at me, how do you expect me to respect you? You got a gun pointing at me. It's like 20 of y'all. Oh yeah, dude, stop, brother. So in the end, Rose was treated at a hospital, then taken into state highway police custody and booked on charges of failure to comply, a fourth-degree felony. Though he has since been released from jail, and it's unclear whether he'll be pursuing any legal recourse. As for the canine officer, Ryan Speakman, he's been placed on paid administrative leave, and the dog's been put in a kennel, and a five-member use of force review board's investigating the incident and is expected to finish its report within the next week. And so in the meantime, as we wait to see what happens there, I'd love to know your thoughts with everything we've seen so far. And then, Carly Russell has finally admitted that, you know, she fibbed, she pulled our leg, or to put it bluntly, she's full of shit with her releasing a statement through her lawyer which was read aloud by the hoover police chief at a briefing yesterday there was no kidnapping on thursday july 9th 13th 2023 my client did not see a baby on the side of the road my client apologizes for her actions to this community we ask for your prayers for carly as she addresses her issues and attempts to move forward understanding that she made a mistake in this matter carly again ask for your forgiveness 
and prayers. The statement adding that she never left the Hoover area while she was missing, that she acted alone, and that she never met up with anyone. Now, the police chief says they're meeting with Russell's lawyer to discuss the case and that they're in talks with the Jefferson County DA about whether to press criminal charges. We're gonna have to wait to see if there's that whole courtroom spectacle. But also, while, you know, everyone has had many different emotions and feelings about the situation, nobody's angrier than Russell's boyfriend, right? This guy had her back from the beginning, defending her against speculation, telling people she was literally fighting for her life after getting kidnapped. And then even after all the super damning evidence came out, he still took her side, pleading with the public not to bully her, telling them to think about her mental health. But apparently her own admission finally broken because he is now her ex-boyfriend and he said in an Instagram post, Carly's action created hurt, confusion, and dishonesty. Myself and my family's nature was to react in love and genuine concern. We are disgusted from the outcome of this entire situation. I strongly feel exactly like you all, blindsided with Carly's actions. And so I guess with all this news, the question I have for you is what do you hope to see come from this? And then when you're dealing with celebrity and fandoms and you see fandoms fighting, Usually it's between one another or at another artist. But with Doja Cat in the news right now, it appears that she's starting a war with her own fandom. Right, so this all starts with a series of posts and interactions Doja had with fans on threads on Sunday, all of which now have notably been deleted. And these including one where a fan said they wanted Doja to say she loves her fans. To which Doja said, I don't though, cause I don't even know y'all. And when one fan responded they don't know her either, but they supported her and got her where she is today, Doja said, nobody forced you. I don't know why you're talking to me like you're my mother, bitch, you sound like a crazy person. And a lot of the friction can also be centered around her fans choice to refer to themselves as kittens, which is kind of pretty par for the course with musicians and their fans. Beyonce has the beehive, Taylor Swift has Swifties, Nicki Minaj has barbs. Doja appears to not enjoy this kind of bit. Writing, my fans don't name themselves shit. If you call yourself a kitten or fucking kittens, that means you need to get off your phone and get a job and help your parents with the house. Also, at one point saying she doesn't like the term because it came up when she was an alcoholic teen. So there, a number of her fans noted that she ran a poll asking what to call her fans in 2020 when she was 24 years old. And so with all this, you kind of had one fan saying, okay, if you don't like kittens, what should I change my account name to? And Doja responded, just delete the entire account and rethink everything. It's never too late. Doja also calling out another fan for using her government name as their screen name, saying that is creepy as fuck. And with that, a number of fans have seemingly taken her message to delete their accounts to heart, or at the very least, unfollow with Billboard reporting that she lost over 230,000 followers on Instagram since posting those sorts of attacks against her fans. And outlets like the LA Times noting that major fan accounts like Doja HQ and Doja Cat News deleted their Twitter accounts. The Doja Cat Brazil Instagram also announcing that it was taking an indefinite break, saying her pronouncements left us kittens very disappointed if we can even call her that and saying we hope that Doja rethinks her actions as an artist. You also had Rolling Stone noting that all this comes as fans have recently called her out over her rumored relationship with streamer Jay Cyrus. And when Doja faced backlash for that, she told her fans she doesn't give a fuck what they think about her personal life and never will, adding good riddance, miserable hoes. Right, and so all of this has resulted in fans saying things like, imagine telling your fans to get a job when they are the ones that buy your music, merch, and concert tickets. And Doja, you know it's been the kittens who have defended you these past years every time you do stupid shit. The least you can do is have some respect for us. But also on the other side of this, you have people saying things like, you know what? I find Doja Cat incredibly annoying, but at the same time, I'm here for someone actively destroying their own celebrity and also reminding people that you don't know someone because you enjoy and consume what they create. And that, in addition to others saying, you know, it feels like Doja might be going through something. And so with this story, of course, I'd love to know your thoughts, but also too, I just want to let you know, I would never do this to you, but not because I'm a good person. I'm just a big believer. And if you do anything very well, you shouldn't do it for free, which is why if you go to defrancodisrespect.com right now for $10, I'll give you a standard issue. You don't know me, weirdo. Over the $200 package, I will spit 
on a camera lens and say your name in a disgusted tone. Or for $1,000, I'll just tell you to straight up kill yourself. I won't mean it, but $1,000 is $1,000. And honestly, if anything, it makes me feel like this is a missed opportunity for Doja. This is like, this is like posting feet pics on the internet for free. I don't know what the fuck it had to this. I don't, I don't, I don't even know about what I'm saying anymore. And then, if you think people hate when Jehovah's Witnesses knock on their door, that is nothing compared to when the IRS does it. In fact, this got so bad, the IRS just announced their agents will, for the most part, no longer be making surprise visits to your homes and businesses. And that's a pretty massive deal because the IRS has been sending agents to knock on doors to resolve unpaid taxes or unfiled returns since at least the 1950s. However, recently, agents have been facing a growing number of threats to their safety. And while they've faced this type of danger before, right around 30 years ago, IRS agents were the most attacked federal law enforcement officers being assaulted hundreds of times a year. These days, there's this mixture of political discontent and the fear of scammers putting these agents at risk once again. Some blaming Republicans for this, not just because they oppose the $80 billion that the Biden administration allocated to the IRS as part of the Inflation Reduction Act, but because reportedly they did so by fanning the flames of fear that the money was going to be used to shake down middle-class homes and businesses, with some even reportedly claiming that the IRS was going to spend that money to send armed agents to collect unpaid taxes. And so with all this, you had Tony Reardon, national president of the National Treasury Employees Union, saying, the safety of IRS employees is of paramount importance, and this decision will help protect those whose jobs have only grown more dangerous in recent years because of the false inflammatory rhetoric about the agency and its workforce. But again, it's not all politics, because you have Americans also having to deal with a growing number of scam artists who pose as IRS agents. And so the hope is that with this policy change, the fraud should be easier to detect. With IRS Commissioner Daniel Werfel saying, we have the tools we need to successfully collect revenue without adding stress with unannounced visits. The only losers with this change in policy are scammers posing as the IRS. And so now, instead of revenue agents conducting tens of thousands of surprise home visits a year, that number will reportedly be dropping to just a few hundred, and those will only happen in unique cases involving summons, subpoenas, and the seizure of assets. And in the place of home visits, most Americans with delinquent taxes or filings are just going to receive a letter to schedule a face-to-face -face meeting with an agent. And then, you know, it's not every day that our sponsors are actually the news, making headlines around the world. We've seen the CEO interviewed on CNBC, read about it in Forbes and the Wall Street Journal. They're everywhere on YouTube, and we've all wondered about it. We're talking about masterworks, like what is it they really do? Well, they've created a way for you to invest in multi-million dollar artworks for a fraction of the price, returning tens of millions in profitable returns to investors like us. So thank you, Masterworks, for sponsoring today's PDS. And in fact, I've invested with Masterworks myself. And for anyone who doesn't already know, first, they buy the art with their own money, often privately to get a good deal. Pieces from superstars like Banksy, Picasso, Warhol. Masterworks qualifies them with the SEC in a process called securitization. You then invest in that painting on their site, and they take care of the legwork to resell it for you. And like with any investment, nothing is a guarantee. But over several years, Masterworks has built an impressive track record of 14 exits so far, and every one of them returning a profit to users. 10%, 13%, a sale for 17% just days ago, even as high as 35% net annualized returns. And with over 750,000 signups and now $800 million in assets under management, the shares for each new painting sell out very quickly. But if you go to the link in the description, masterworks.art slash DeFranco, you'll get special VIP access to the front of the line. And then, how are your favorite A-list actors responding to the ongoing actor strike? Right? Amid this historic labor reckoning in Hollywood, this has taken over a big part of the conversation, especially as the high-paid A-list actors are not, you know, the people struggling or the people that the guild are striking for. Those big actors actually represent just a small fraction of SAG, and the majority of members are just regular working-class people trying to make a living, which for many has made it all the more important to see those big names doing something. And many have shown up on the picket lines. You've seen Jennifer Garner, Jack Black, Hillary Duff, Daniel Radcliffe, America Ferreira, Jeremy Allen White also showing up when he's not calling the paparazzi on himself while he's doing push-ups in the middle of the street. Which, hey, uh, if I look like that, I'd probably do the same, chef. But also, we've seen other big stars like Dwayne The Rock Johnson showing his support by making a massive donation to the SAG-AFTRA Foundation, right, with that being the fund that provides financial relief to struggling SAG members via an emergency assistance program, something that's very important while you have studio execs saying, hey, we're just going to wait for these people to start losing their homes. That's when we gain leverage in the negotiation. Well, hey, we don't know the exact amount The Rock's donation was. We know that it was in the seven figures, with the SAG Foundation's executive director telling Variety, this is when we need our high-profile talent who can afford it.
nonprofit who are in a situation to help others. With the foundation's president also telling the outlet they hope the Rock's donation sends a huge message to other folks to do the same thing. And this, as we've seen places like Variety highlighting in a separate report, some big stars who seem absent. With Variety noting that people like Meryl Streep, Jennifer Lawrence, and Rami Malek, who previously signed a letter telling the Guild they were ready and willing to strike, have yet to show up on the picket lines. Though with that, we saw in response a lot of people saying it's actually super reasonable to not attend a picket if you're uber famous. With people arguing it might actually hurt the cause or be a huge distraction for people that are ridiculously wealthy to show up on the picket line. Others arguing A-listers of that level being at the gates all the time would be a mess for so many reasons. And there are other ways they can help, like donating a fuck ton of money a la The Rock. But for now, the strikes continue. And then, House Leader Kevin McCarthy is threatening to impeach President Biden. Where while speaking on Sean Hannity's show last night, he discussed the House Republicans' investigation into the business dealings of Biden family members, in particular, Hunter Biden. You know, because for a while now, Republicans have been investigating several claims of financial misconduct. Claims, including from two IRS whistleblowers who said that the DOJ improperly intervened in the probe into Hunter Biden's taxes by making it too lenient, as well as a reportedly uncorroborated FBI document they claim shows that Biden's family received payments from foreign companies. And these investigations, according to experts, haven't gained much traction, likely because the claims Republicans have made are still totally unsubstantiated. But despite that, McCarthy has now seriously escalated the situation, discussing various parts of the investigations and telling Hannity, If you're sitting in our position today, we would know none of this if Republicans had not taken the majority. We've only followed where the information has taken us. But Hannity, but this is Speaker. rising to the level of impeachment inquiry, which provides Congress the strongest power to get the rest of the knowledge and information needed. Because this president has also used something we have not seen since Richard Nixon, used the weaponization of government to benefit his family and deny Congress the ability to have the oversight. Right, so we're looking at the most serious and explicit threat of impeachment that McCarthy has made to date. Right, so that's a massive deal in its own right, but especially when you consider the the fact that he's actually shut down previous attempts to impeach Biden by far-right members of his own party. I mean, this includes as recently as last month. Now, notably here, McCarthy did not outline any specific charges or a timeline for an impeachment probe while speaking to Hannity. His office, as a filming is, reportedly hasn't responded to media requests for clarification, so a lot of it's unclear right now, but Democrats in the White House were still quick to condemn the threat. The Democratic National Committee chair is saying in a statement that House Republicans' impeachment threat is just an attempt to distract from their lack of any meaningful agenda and Trump's own significant challenges. But, Main thing, shots have been fired, and obviously we're gonna have to keep our eyes on this one. And then, the DOJ is now suing Texas Governor Greg Abbott over a floating barrier of buoys in the Rio Grande he deployed to deter migrants who were trying to cross into the United States. And in its lawsuit, the agency claims that Abbott violated federal law that bans placing obstructions in the water without federal approval, which notably, Abbott did not seek or receive. And Associate Attorney General Vanita Gupta saying in a statement, this floating barrier poses threats to navigation and public safety and presents humanitarian concerns. Additionally, the presence of the floating barrier has prompted diplomatic protests by Mexico and risks damaging U.S. foreign policy. And this also comes after the DOJ sent a letter to Abbott last week warning him that he had until Monday to remove the buoys or the agency would sue. But there he saw Abbott refuse, responding with his own letter yesterday and claiming that Texas had the power to enforce its own border security in writing, Texas will see you in court, Mr. President. So it'll be interesting to see how that battle plays out, especially because this also comes as both state and federal officials are looking into allegations made by a state trooper and published in the Houston Chronicle. Because according to that report, the trooper claimed that officers have been ordered to push children into the Rio Grande and deny migrants water. And that's just a few of the claims among among other horrible things. And those alleged actions, as well as the buoys and miles of razor wire set up along border crossings, come as part of Abbott's controversial Operation Lone Star policy to prevent migrants from crossing the border. With all that reportedly costing the state billions of dollars, but having little impact on migration while simultaneously posing insane human rights abuses. And then, we gotta talk about the Russian brain drain, which I understand sounds like a sex thing you gotta pay extra for, but it is not that. Or if it is also that, it's uh, it's this other thing that we're gonna talk about right now as well. Because right? when you think of hundreds of thousands of Russians crossing your border, that can be a recipe 
be for a pointless war. But actually, for some of Russia's neighbors, it's resulted in a massive economic boost. Right? Because those Russians that are coming over the border, they're fleeing their homeland for a variety of reasons. Right? Some oppose Putin's pointless war, others want better job opportunities, and some just don't want to get drafted. Which actually, on that note, the maximum age to get drafted just got raised to 30. So it's very likely we're going to see even more Russian men trying to make their way out. But regardless of the reason, they've mostly settled in countries close to Russia. Right? Places like Armenia, Azerbaijan, and Georgia. And many of these Russians either have wealth, education, or skill sets like IT that make it easier to just pick up and go. And this influx of Russians has contributed to crazy GDP growth in these countries. Right? For example, the World Bank thought the South Caucasus was going to grow by 5.6 last year. Instead, it was actually 7%. And while 1.4% might not seem like a lot, when you're talking about an entire economy, that is insane. And others did even better. Armenia smashed its 7% forecast by growing a whopping 12.6%. And so all of this points to a soft brain drain that Russia is experiencing, despite Putin protesting and saying, ah, now that many people are actually leaving. But what we've seen are many Russian men going, okay, do I want to get killed by a grenade dropped by some Ukrainian drone? All for Putin's ego. Or do I want to take my education and skills somewhere safe for me and my family? But it's also not just potential growth leaving Russia and helping its neighbors. You have to consider assets as well, with Georgia seeing $2.1 billion in Russian transfers across 2022. That's five times the amount it had in 2021. And while $2.1 may not seem like that big of a deal, when you take into account the total over $239 billion has left Russia, which is four times more than in 2021 and more than many countries' entire GDP. And the only reason this hasn't been entirely disastrous for Russia, at least on paper, is because it's currently being balanced out by a record-setting current account surplus of $227 billion, right? And that meaning its exports are way higher than its imports. But that's also hardly the entire story, right? The number is almost entirely propped up by the price of oil surging last year, coupled with shrinking imports due to sanctions. And those sanctions are really now starting to show how much they're affecting Russia, with many everyday items just not available on shelves. So as the draft expands and becomes more common, life gets harder for Russians, it's easy to see why many are trying to leave. And for now, it seems like this will just continue until maybe someone in Russia decides uh, Putin needs a different kind of brain drain. And that is where this daily dive into the news is going to end. But for more news you need to know, I got you covered here and in those links down below. And of course, don't worry, because as always, my name's Philip DeFranco. You've just been filled in. I love yo faces, and I'll see you right back here tomorrow.